This podcast is made possible by Vital Smarts, the Speak Up Experts. With more than 30 years of conversation research, three New York Times best-selling authors and over three million people trained, that's Vital Smarts. If you're struggling to hold a tough conversation in the office or at home, visit vitalsmarts.com.au slash DSTM to master your speak up skills and create an environment of accountability. Sydney people can't work out why Melbourne loves Eddie Maguire and Melbourne people are the same about Alan Jones, but it's insulting to Eddie Maguire to compare him to Alan Jones. I mean, this is just unbelievable that it's taken till now for his radio network to finally caution him and give what sounds like a final warning. It is a beautiful book about relationships and it is stunningly written. It's just the perfect book to be reading in these times of racial intolerance in the US and, you know, right-wing white supremacy. It is a really good book for our times. Mum rang me and said, turn on the TV, Virginia's in black and gold. I was just stricken to read these poor Mornington residents' stories about they can't walk on their beach anymore. And that's not a wealthy person's playground. That's you're either a myth or you're not a myth. Yeah, I'm a correct. myth person. Yeah, I am. Correct. But some people are horrified by milk at first. And it's considered a bit, you know... Naff. Common. <laughs> it is. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hi everyone, welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Corey Perkin and I am here with my very dear friend, the award-winning journalist and a woman who is coming to the back end of the football season. She has a bit of a spring in her step, Caroline Wilson. Well, Hi, I Caro. do, I do, Corey. Um, the we other... were just talking off air about how we're going to see movies post-September. We are, we are, although I've seen an absolute cracker this week. Not everyone agrees with me, but I'll tell you about that a bit later and I also had a very enjoyable day with my mum, Julia, at the MCG on Sunday, although I almost... Rain? Did you get the rain? Yeah, but we, we found good seats undercover for Anna in the op shop and her mum, and it was one of the most nervous, tense, weird <laughs> days I've ever spent at the football, but at the end, I almost... Um, I think I almost strangled mum when I, the siren The joy! Went. Your mum came into the shop during the week, and she was... Very, I said, what about that game on the weekend? And I thought she was just started reliving it. She started quivering. <laughs> it must have been quite tense. Um, Carol, it was a lovely, happy we are, day. We are up to our 97th episode. The countdown is on. Thank you to all of our listeners who contacted us at the bookshop about the 100th episode. We're having the 100th episode in a couple of weeks in the bookshop. Sadly, because it's so small, it is limited seating to 50. And the tickets went off, Caro. I don't know whether people are desperate for a good night out or they just think we're fabulous. I don't know. Maybe the latter, hope. But we are going to make sure that everyone gets involved when we have a Christmas event in early, late November, early December, exactly. which we'll tell you all a bit about later. We will indeed, and we're going to have a very big venue there. Uh, thank you to all the potties too who have called into the bookshop over the past couple of weeks. Cheerio to everyone who seems to be coming from far and wide to say good day. Uh, and they love talking about to me about your football career and your football tips. So I feel like I'm channeling you um, often, Carol. I might not be seeing you a lot at the moment, but you're with me in spirit. We've been ships in the night, Corrie. <laughs> we and have. our football tips were nothing to boast about this week. Um, no. Well, God, mine weren't. Now, Caro, we've got a bit of uh, housekeeping and a little bit of um, correspondence from Justin Irwin, one of our favourites who we haven't heard from for ages, sent us a lovely long message and just a snippet of it here. Uh, two of my all-time favourites were discussed in episode 96. Number 96 was a weekly staple in our house, 8.30 on a Monday night, and the six kids in our family would sneak out into the good room to the second telly to secretly watch the latest episode. I remember sneaking to watch we that. All, we all snuck. I mean, we all snuck to the good room. It was, isn't it funny how many people did it and how different TV habits were in those days? And Linda Danvers, Cara, said, I'm about your age, Cara, and I was never allowed to watch number 96. I wasn't even allowed to watch I Dream of Jeannie. <laughs> Far too saucy. What was saucy about I Dream of Jeannie? Well, she had a sort of a fairly saucy outfit on. I suppose they were living together unmarried under the same roof. Yes. I mean, when you think... a lot of saucy. <laughs> well, when you think about it, it was pretty saucy. That, is that outfit, oh my heavens. hilarious. It the... was pretty... When you think about gender imbalance these days, it was pretty, you know... <laughs> Please clink, click your fingers and a, this gorgeous creature comes out of a bottle to do all your jobs for Showing you. Showing her midriff. <laughs> and just uh, our outer sanctum friends, the girls, um, they said, we are overwhelmed at being Corey's crush. Thanks for the shout out and the support. 
Uh, they said we were generous to share their voices and stories with our gang, and they would love to bring their recipes, books, and chat to a pod mash with us any day. Great to know which burner team you are on, back right forever, which is me. Hashtag back right forever. What's burner? What's the when we talked about the stove burners? Where's your favourite oh. position on the stove? Oh yes, that's and right. And you and that's Jane right. were front right, I think, or front yep. left, and yep. I was back right. So apparently, there's a hashtag back right forever group. So I'm in that. Yeah. Girls do want to come and join us, Cara. So we might do that around the end of the footy season, maybe. We might do a sort of joint podcast, yeah, a mash. There's a lot of them, and they're very they're very impressive. We would not get a word in. Um, um, the, speaking of burner, there's a age old, ever popular recipe that I'm going to talk to you about this week that we have both made many, many times. And I know you do yours a bit differently to mine, and we want other people to get involved. So Righto. that's to come well, in bought, BSF. Bought, we're going to have a bake off, a pretend bake off. I bought my recipe in August challenge, Caro. What's happening with those cookbooks of yours? Well, I've been a bit unimaginative, <laughs> but I have. I've delved into. I've done three Otto Lingies. No, since. but the whole idea was not to go back to the same books. No, you were no, going but to different ones. Your old books. Well, I went back to Jerusalem, which oh, is okay. you see what I mean. And I made and not in real life, but. Yeah, I went back to Jerusalem, the one of the earlier Otto Lingi cookbooks, and I made that unbelievable chicken recipe with clementines and fennel. The reason I did it is because my clement, my tragic little clementine tree at the beach has got about it, it managed about five or six in its second full year. So this recipe, you marinate the chicken with fennel and fennel seeds and clementines and thyme. It is absolutely beautiful, and it was very much a homegrown thing. Mm, sounds delicious. Yum. And I also did the Bridget Jones salmon having watched Bridget Jones 2 on the telly last week, when McDreamy from, you know, the medical show. That's Bridget Jones 3. Oh, is it? Bridget yeah. Jones's baby. Yeah, yeah. That's when, that's when Patrick they, Dempsey? Yeah, Patrick they, Dempsey. They, they, have a, they have a naughty at the, it's, I suppose it's at a music festival or something like yeah, that. Yeah, she doesn't yeah. know whose baby it is. Mm. Um, well, he says, if I took you on, we never had a first date. If we did, I would take you to Otterlingi and we would have the salmon with, Oh well, I think he says pine nuts, but so Otterlingi never had that recipe. So then he made one up, and it's in one of his cookbooks. <laughs> Life so imitating I, art. So I made, but I've got to get, I've got to leave Otto and you go do. on to something You're else. You're just too much Otterlingi. Just go back to Margaret Fulton, like I've been doing. What about you? Uh well, I had, I had my first official since announcing this, I, this um, challenge. I had my first official yoga class last Friday morning at seven a.m. And it was magnificent. So the studio where I am now practicing my yoga, you don't do it, you practice it, uh, has ceiling to floor window on one side overlooking natural vegetation. So the sun was coming up. Uh, it was quite windy and woolly outside. The yoga studio was warm. I thought I was in heaven. Having a little bit of trouble, okay with the down dog um, have and cobra, having a little bit of trouble with um, steady feet when I'm doing Warrior 2. I tend to wobble a bit, but I'm now getting to know all the names of the things, so I'm feeling pretty good. Really. I'm impressed. But I'm I, w- impressed. I must say, Carol, I had then on the weekend I worked in the shop, and on Sunday night, usually I'll pull up pretty bad, like, you know, a footy player after an old footy player after a big game. And I actually felt good on Sunday, and I wondered whether the, all this flexing and stretching was having something to do with it. Well, it's uh, what what uh, intrigues me is the balance side of it too. It's so good for your balance, isn't it? And as you get older, you lose your balance. Particularly when you do that tree one, you know, when you've got to have fold up one leg on your knee, or some people do it on their thigh, which I always struggle with. And you've got to sort of stand and do all these poses on one foot. Oh yes. And I'm always good on my left foot, but a bit dodgy on my right. But it it is those things will keep you going well into our 60s and 70s and 80s. So keep going. Isn't it funny when you do those poses, which you used to just do as a kid, snap easy? I suddenly realised not a kid anymore. I know. Do wobbling, you, falling. Do you still um, sometimes sit down cross-legged and watch TV? Uh, no. Yeah, see, I, I still do. but um, It's my lower back. Yeah, no, I, I still do, but I think, God, that must be something that you don't you won't be able to do for much longer. Yes. So I'm sort of enjoying it. Think while. how many story times when we were six, we'd sit there on cold wooden floors in primary schools <laughs> listening to well, just sitting around Charlotte's Web, just sitting around gas bagging on <laughs> school with all your friends. <laughs> right. I have to say, Cara, I, I, I checked in on my veggie patch, which was the challenge from a couple of months ago. My broccolis are very small. I need Charlie's son-in-law to come and have a look at them. There's something very wrong. 
Oh, I don't know what's happening underneath I think there. maybe you need to be there more often for constant care. Oh, <laughs> well, look, I'm learning. Anyway, if anybody has small broccoli, apparently I, I Googled them. I was so worried about them. I Googled and they said, oh, broccoli, average broccoli takes 100 to 150 days. Miss Jane is nodding as I say oh, this. Well, be patient. Well, it's, never all, it's been 100 one days. Of, never been, been one, one of, of my virtues. <laughs> <laughs> my olives, on the other hand, have been, we've started eating them. As a bit of a bar oh, snack. Oh, good. Oh, good. They're, look, one lot of a tiny bit vinegary, but they're quite yum. And the other lot of a tiny bit salty, but they're also very nice. But now I know it can be done. But you could blend them together and then you'd have the perfect taste, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, maybe just do them in water for another few weeks. Anyway, they're sitting there. You don't refrigerate. Oh you just... God, it's like an elephant giving birth, these olives. Oh, they... But I'm eating them now. They're oh, really that's good. enjoyable. No, I'm glad you're eating them. Carol, you and I were pretty fired up uh last week over Alan Jones's comments on Jacinda Ardern, which we felt were terribly inappropriate. And we just wanted to touch base on that. But I think Miss Jane has a snippet. She's a clown, Jacinda Ardern, a complete clown. Here she is preaching, preaching on global warming and saying that we've got to do something about climate change. And I made the point very validly. Here is Jacinda Ardern. If you want to talk about the figures, if you want to talk about carbon dioxide, which I don't, nothing wrong with it. She talks about carbon. She doesn't know the difference between carbon and carbon dioxide. But the fact is New Zealand's carbon dioxide has grown by 10.8% per capita. 10.8% 10.8% since 1990, 10.8%. Ours has grown by 1.8%. I just wonder whether Scott Morrison's going to be fully briefed to shove a sock down the throat. I mean, she is a joke, this woman, an absolute and utter lightweight. On so many levels, that annoys me. But firstly, as, uh, well, do we call ourselves, well, you are a professional broadcaster. I'm a pretend one. But the tone of the voice is so annoying to listen to. I can't listen to that. Oh, is it, he's, a disgust, he's just such a disgusting bully. And it's, this is the guy who said that, talked about um, the body bag or the, the, you know, the bag of chaff yeah, yeah. In, when he Put referred Julia to Gillard the in it. former Prime Minister Julia Gillard. I mean, he, he, the, the bullying and nasty, snide comments when her father died and he, in, he allegedly died of shame. I think he apologised for that too. Lost sponsors then too. They went, they came back. Um, too gutless. The one person who was too gutless to even have his own image um, relayed in the Adam Goods film, The Final Quarter, because I don't know whether he was running away from his comments or what he was doing, but they had to use an actor to repeat the stuff he was saying about Adam Goods. He he would not work in Melbourne, Corrie. I know he is syndicated around Australia. And I made this comment when I did the um, Andrew Ollie lecture that Sydney people can't work out why Melbourne loves Eddie Maguire and Melbourne people are the same about Alan Jones, but it's insulting to Eddie Maguire even to compare him to Alan Jones. I mean, this is just unbelievable that it's taken till now for his radio network to finally caution him and give what sounds like a final warning. It does sound like a final it does, warning well, to me. Well, just this week, uh, the, there's another couple overnight of sponsors who have withdrawn. Koala's withdrawn and, and Volkswagen. Yeah, and a gym has withdrawn. But they often crawl back. So let's just see how long let's that monitor lasts. It. And let's see how the whole, the changing media landscape means that Channel 9 has now taken over or will be about to take over Macquarie. You know, it's obviously merged with the age as well. You just wonder whether that's going to have any effect on Alan because until the public sorry, actually... Who, sorry, Cara, who owns 2GB? Macquarie. Yes. And they're being taken over by Channel yeah, 9. Well, Channel 9, there's, there's, a manage, there's been major mergers and acquisitions going on. God, with what the doesn't Channel network. 9 own? Well, I think that was probably one of the reasons that um, saw poor old Tim Warner finally get the heave-ho from Channel 7 last week, because I think in terms of mergers and acquisitions, Nine Media have been so far ahead of Seven West. Well, that's that's one of the reasons. Married at first sight didn't help him either. But, I mean, so anyway, back to Alan Jones. The interviews you hear him do, like that one with the head of the Opera House last year when there was that huge stoush about the horse race, he, he is a disgusting bully and he's not that intelligent. I mean, he took the side of Stephen Dank during the Essendon drug scandal, did sympathetic interviews with Stephen Dank. This is a man who was a coach of the Wallabies. He coached a football team of young men and didn't understand what was being done to the Essendon players. Oh, yes, don't uh, get me started. 78, he c- can't retire quick enough in my view. But well, it's, it's just, not it's his a, age though, is it? It's well, not no, his... it's not his age. And it's what's coming out of his mouth. And this aff- 
offensive, offensive chat, this violent language toward women. I am just so over it because it does have consequences. It's been proven that it has consequences. If you, if you talk about a woman and use some sort of metaphor or story that suggests that you're shoving something or hitting her or, or sticking her in a bag like Julia Gillard or something, this has consequences. It's just not on. It's it, not on, it's, especially and, on radio. And I'm, and you, you're so disappointed in our leaders. I mean, Josh Frydenberg, who seems like a reasonable bloke. Oh, Scott Morrison. I mean, I, I just thought that Josh Frydenberg's decision to sort of oh, condemn the comments, but Alan's a great broadcaster, you know, we, love, we, we still love him. I mean, that was just weak, Josh. Oh, shocking. Really disappointed. Shocking, shocking. And Scott Morrison should have stood up because Jacinda Ardern, let's remember, is the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Well, he, did, he did condemn the comments, but I thought Josh was really, I mean, they're both so scared of him and they still think he's the reason that helped them get elected, which is such a worry. And the other thing, Caro, that interested me this week too, I didn't see it, but I read the commentary about it afterwards, Julie Bishop's interview with Andrew Denton. Oh, it was intriguing. Yeah, was it? It was, it was absolutely intriguing. And it was, look, this, the stuff that obviously in, interested me was her finally speaking up. Well, I suppose she has before, but never in such detail about sexism in government and sexism in the Liberal Party and in the Parliament. And she talked about the, that terrible Julia Gillard joke that was made and how it wouldn't have been probably made if women were more the norm in Parliament and in government and at these dinners. Did Andrew Denton ask her why at the time she didn't stand up more to her to, to Tony Abbott and to the to the general I don't I can't recall him doing that. Mm, that would be the, it, that would be the hard question but, I would be asking her. What you you seem to be missing in action around that time, Julie. Well, well, no, I, th- I think he sort of he sort of addressed how difficult it was at times, and he also addressed. I mean, he, look, he on several levels there were there was some there was commentary about the red shoes, a lot of different things, and and some really great stories about foreign leaders that were quite funny. And um, he really does have a presence. Julie well, do you Bishop, remember you like said a few or, weeks ago that you thought that she would be. She's, Monty for her own show. She's going to have her own show, Corrie. She, she will definitely have her own show. But anyway, what really disappointed me was Neil Mitchell the next day, who I would have thought better of, saying, well, he, he sort of said, look, he should just go away. She should stop making trouble. Because she talked about, you know, the, obviously the night of the long knives or whatever you call it. And the, she talked about Matthias Corman and Dutton and everything that happened and the threats that were made to her and the comments that were made to her. But... One of the things she said was that you would get better behaviour on so many levels if there was fifty-fifty representation in Parliament, and Neil was so anti that he was. He said, um, "I mean, really, fifty-fifty representation? And surely we want the best people in Parliament." I mean, Neil, come on, that age-old sort of anti-quota commentary, I think, is just gone. Mm. I just don't think you can accept that anymore. Well, you know, I've done a switch since listening to you on this since our podcast started two years ago, because I used to think, well, it probably should be a level playing field, best person for the job, because in a way it's sexist to appoint women, uh, be proactive and appoint them if they're not appropriate. But I have, you know, since we've discussed it on many issues and on many different levels, both on air and off air, I've swung around to your way of thinking. It's really interesting, Caro, that I was looking last night at FIA's Women in Parliament, the largest female representation in the world in a democracy as Rwanda, 61.3% of their parliamentarians are women. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Which is really interesting. And then How's their of, government going? <laughs> well, you then read, well, you, we know what, you know, the tragic story of Rwanda yeah, 20 years ago. I'm not making no, light off no, it. No, I know you're not. But, but, I mean, with that in mind, I then Googled Rwanda where they're at and they are rebuilding at a rate of knots. Their, their, their economy is doing well. Like their tourism, they're starting to really uh, connect with and invest in. There's a whole lot of good things happening in Rwanda, which uh, healthcare systems, which I thought was just so interesting that after 20 years of, you, you know, your country being decimated by civil war, uh, suddenly you're in this. So women, mm, watch out. And interestingly, I, I couldn't well, see. Well, not according to Neil Mitchell. And no. I, I have huge respect for Neil, his work ethic, his brain, it's interesting, isn't his it? technique. Well, he gave it, me my first job. Like he made me a female football writer. He was so he was so dismissive of the concept of 50-50 representation in government, which to me is just such an obvious thing that we should be aiming for anyway. 
Yeah, well, it was disappointing. And, Caro, the other thing I was fired up, we've had lots that we've been fired up about this week, but the other thing I was fired up about was the state government of Victoria's response, pathetic response to what's happening at the Mornington Mount Martha Beach, which is essentially eroding and falling away. And uh, The Age covered the story really focusing on the bathing boxes and the fact that uh, they're, they're... they're almost um, disbanded, like they can't go near them now because the, the tide level has come up and they're, they're deemed as dangerous. And the state government saying can't do anything, which made it sound like a rich people's story. It's not. The beach is gone. The beach is going. And the government is saying, oh, well, not much we can do. And, the, and a similar sort of thing is happening all around our bay. Um, people talk about down at Geelong, the eastern beach down there is, is, under, is under a bit of strife. Around Seaford, I think, and Hampton as well is, is having a terrible time. Portsea, Portsea Beach has just disappeared completely because of the dredging. Um, it's just shocking what's happening, and the government says, "Oh, there's nothing much we can do." Sorry. No, they they, they see there's no votes in it in terms of the Mornington Peninsula because it's a rich person's playground. But in fact, it's one of our great tourist attractions. You look at, you go down to Port Ferry, as you know, I did a few weeks ago, and you and I remember as a kid that was sort of Port Ferry or Portland, and then one day the beach at Portland just disappeared, and. Portland, that was the end of Portland. I mean, not as a town, but as a, that's right. as a place to go for a holiday. And and that's going to happen. But that you that look will at, happen on the Mornington Peninsula too. Hopefully local shire and local councils can get behind it. So, for example, in Altona, where they've had a, a real issue with this sort of erosion and um, – and I don't know whether it's part of the dredging over there or what it is, but the government, the, the local government, they've spent two point one million on upgrading their foreshore. So maybe it falls into the hands of local government. But I was just, I was just stricken to read these poor Mornington residents' stories about they can't walk on their beach anymore, and that's not a wealthy person's playground. It's and the bathing no. boxes have stood stood for years being destroyed, and the Frankston jetty. Look, I think that um, Portsea Beach is a great tragedy. One of the most beautiful beaches, one of the most beautiful bay beaches. For 15 years now, or almost 15 years, I think it is, it's been um, held up by boulders and sandbags and it's become a place that you sort of have to avoid to get to the pier. It's just one of the saddest, saddest stories and it's completely due to the dredging of the channel, which was not really the most financially or economically viable decision anyway. Other beaches have become four times as big and have sort of Disproportionately in ways. big, yeah. I mean, I, you walk I, miles to get into the water. There's this fear, this fear to sort of address what has actually happened by the government. Daniel Andrews keeps hinting that something's going to happen there, but we haven't seen it yet. Um, Carol, you have a crush, I believe, this week. On Corrie, Virginia Trioli. I mean, did you see her last show no, on I Friday? It. Oh, well, no, I did. I was at my yoga class. Well, <laughs> well, Mum rang me and said, "Turn on the TV. Virginia's in black and gold." And I turned it on. She had this unbelievable top on. I mean, I know it was all about what she Is said. Is she a as Richmond well. supporter? No, no, it was a black and gold sort of amazing. So it was, it was a bit disco. I used to tell her when we were at the age. I said, "You're the best. You're the best dressed reporter in town, Dale. You're the best dressed reporter." Well, she, she still is. is. She's amazing. And in fact, they did a lot of retrospective stuff of her work over the over the last was it nine years or eleven, 11 years? years? Eleven yeah. years. And um, on you know the, the the recurring theme was you know smart, witty repartee and. Tops, <laughs> but this one was black and gold. She said she was evoking a bit of eighties, a bit of disco, a bit of big shoulders. She, um, she was absolutely brilliant. She was brilliant, and she's such a great choice for the new morning show. There was obviously a lot of. It was her birthday as well. She'd been to a big sort of Beatles concert um, done by a lot of Australian rock stars the night before at the Palais Theatre. She brought in some young musicians from over the road at the MSO to play this beautiful beautiful piece of music. It, it was actually incredibly emotional. There were tears. Um, and you just remembered what a great, how, how she transferred herself from being a really mm. good print journo to a brilliant broadcaster to an even better TV presenter. So now back to broadcasting. But I have to say, looking at Virginia in that top and the way she spoke, I thought, yeah, I've actually got a real Sounds girl like crush. Sounds like you've got a real girl crush. Um, look, I, you know, I, I think her next her next incarnation is going to be brilliant. She's done radio before, as we know, but holding up that John Fane spot, set, stepping into big shoes on 774, 774 ABC in the mornings in Melbourne is going to be amazing. Will Car- there be another children overboard moment oh, well, for Virginia? Well, that's exactly. Well, she'll be breaking stories, I have no doubt. Carol, I just wanted to say my crush of the week is my dog, 
Bearsy, who last week turned 17. Oh, happy birthday, Bear. She's ju- it's just, I think we're coming toward the end. She's just walking so slowly, and she, but she's just all oh, so sweet. Anyway, I just wanted to say that um, everybody who has an old dog at home, as I know you do too, all our love to the old dogs. Um, now, Caro, BSF. and As we- Brendan always says, I'll take the old dog for a walk down, and, and I'll, I'll take Billy too. Yeah, good on you. Very funny. <laughs> I know. I've even heard him say that joke. It's a bit of an old one. Um, Vital Smarts. Hello to our friends at Vital Smarts, and Thank you for supporting this section of our little podcast. Is your organisation suffering from unsupportive, lazy or poor performers? Vital Smarts training gives you and your staff the skills to speak up and hold each other accountable. Vital Smarts is used by over 300 of the top Fortune 500 companies and they are globally proven to solve communication and behaviour problems in any culture or industry. Crucial conversations is what they call it, and crucial accountability training gives you the tools and skills to talk about almost anything, (laughs) even the toughest issues. So visit vitalsmarts.com.au backslash DSTM for a listener-only offer and more information on what they do. Caro, I have a book. Yes. Now, you've wanted to talk about this for a couple of weeks, and people mm. have recommended it to me, so I want to hear. Well, one of the book clubs that you're, you were involved in with me, this was actually our prescribed reading, but it was noted last Thursday that you didn't attend the meeting. So I don't know whether that means you haven't read the book or not. No, I haven't. I was doing a Walkley Foundation thing at RMIT. It, doing, wa- it was noted. Giving back, Corrie, giving <laughs> back. <laughs> well, we were just taking the wine where we were. Um, but it was noted that you were not there. But I do hope you get around to reading An American Marriage which is a truly wonderful book by an American writer who's probably in her 40s, Tiari Jones. And this book, An American Marriage, just recently, a couple of months ago, won the Women's Prize for Fiction. And everybody who's heard this podcast before knows that I'm a, the biggest fan of this prize. It comes out of England internationally uh, to, to all female writers, open to all female writers of fiction writing in the English language. And An American Marriage won. This is your book club book, everybody out there, if you haven't already done it. It is the story of Celestial and Roy, two middle-class African-American contemporary couple set in contemporary times, and they are living the life of a couple who have been married for a year. They're saving for another house. Um, Celestial is pursuing, after all of these years, her artistic dream. Uh, She makes beautiful dolls, and she's really pursuing that with a vengeance and hoping to have her first show. And Roy is a young sales executive on the up and up. They have a good, healthy marriage. They are visiting Roy's parents in Louisiana when something terrible happens. And this is not giving anything away because it's on the back of the book. Roy is innocently innocent in a crime. He is accused of committing a crime. There is a really shabby court case and he is thrown in the clink for, for 11 years. And it is the impact that this incarceration has on this couple. Now, at this point in the book, you think you're going to go down one man's journey or one family's journey against the law to try and prove his innocence. It actually takes a complete turn the other side and looks at their marriage, the impact of separation on a young married couple. It makes you think about all of those wartime couples, Caro, you know, who married and then within a blink of an eye, they were separated because of war. It makes you think about the power of marriage, what takes a good marriage. Years later, can that love be retained? It is so interesting. And in the middle of this book, what I loved about it, I think most, is there is a series of letters that go between the two of them. Roy is in jail and Celestial is at first completely, uh, you know, in the fetal position. She's in shock for months. It's a terrible thing. And then she starts to slowly, as the years unfold, she rebuilds her life. Is Roy going on the journey with her emotionally? And these letters just show over a period of years this distance that grows. It is a beautiful book about relationships and it is stunningly written. And it's just it's just the perfect perfect book to be reading in these times of um, racial intolerance in the U.S. and uh, white you know right wing white supremacy. It is a really good book for our times. An American Marriage by Tiari Jones. Highly so, recommend it. it. Sounds like a sort of extension of that dreadful film if Bill Street could talk, which was about a black couple. And yes, I remember you telling us which about was that. A, which was a, a great story. It could have been a great story, but it was made into a very boring and slow-moving film. But this sounds intriguing. No, it I'm is intriguing. To it. I think you should give it a go. Now, you've been to the pictures. 
I went and saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the, oh, new, the new Tarantino. Like it, I, I couldn't believe it was on and it was on at the right time and I actually went and saw it. I went with Brendan and our friend Trudy from the, of, of the famous Cornwall Walk and her, Renee. We were all absolutely riveted by it. It's, uh, Quentin Tarantino says he's only going to make one more film after this, I think a Western, so it's his ninth and second last movie. I don't believe that for oh, a minute. I can, that's a bit pretentious, isn't it? Look, I'm Corrie, resting on my laurels. I, I've heard, I was talking with some of the girls from Jim yesterday and they said, oh, look, I, we agreed with the review. It's just a series of vignettes and nothing really happens till the end. No, it is a visual feast. So set in 1969, Hollywood, um, there's sort of this juxtaposition between the old Hollywood being dead and all the changes, TV, advertising and sort of the hippie culture that's coming into the area and how it's completely changing everything. It's um, seen through the prism really of a buddy movie. Leonardo DiCaprio gives the performance of his life. He is unbelievable. He is That just... wouldn't be too hard. I mean, I've never really loved him at all. Oh, I think he's a brilliant actor. He was terrible in Titanic and a couple of films, but catch me <laughs> if you can. He was absolutely wonderful. No, I think he's a great actor. Really? I'm, I'm surprised. No. I, I, What's he think, Gilbert Grape? Oh, no, he's a very no, good actor. No, I didn't like that one where he was the, Wall, the Wolf of Wall Street. That oh, put, yeah. And, and Gatsby. They both put me off him forever. I didn't, I didn't mind him until that point. I didn't mind him in Gatsby. I didn't see the Wolf of Wall Street. Anyway, he's brilliant. Brad Pitt is great as his sidekick, Cliff Booth, who plays a stuntman. These characters, there are real – what's fascinating is that there are real characters in the film and real actors played by new actors. And then there were um, sort of um, compiled sort of characters. There is a brilliant child actress who is eight years old who befriends the Leonardo DiCaprio character Rick Dalton. So what we're thinking, like a Jodie Foster type? Well, I think it's based on Jodie Foster, but it's sort of to me the symbolism of how youth and brains and young child stars now are so different to the way they were back in the 30s and 40s where they were exploited. I think there's also hints of Natalie Wood in her appearance and there's also there's a mystery that involves Cliff Booth, the Brad Pitt character and his past and there's a scene evoking Natalie Wood's death but, but I won't there's but, so many but, different uh, but you're bearing the lead here references. which is the Manson murders because that to me seems to be probably where Quentin gets the gore from um, yeah well um, and Margot Robbie is just beautiful as Sharon Tate and, and you know there, there's a lot of criticisms one is that women don't get a, a primary focus in this film one is that how can you make a joke out of the Manson murders um, another oh, there are a lot of different Different reasons that this film has been criticised. Just think of the title, Corrie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's a fairy story. So don't expect anything. It is Truth bit, to merge. Well, it's creepy and, and there's a scene well, where the Brad Pitt character stumbles upon the Manson farm because he used to make films there. It was an old Western set. There's a lot of Western references. Um, Bruce Dern's in it. Damien Lewis is unbelievable in a little role as Steve McQueen. Oh, really? Um, Our friend Annie called into the bookshop. She was walking home from the cinema. What did she think of it? She said, oh, no, and she, she thought it was rather gory, you know, which which is to be expected in a Tarantino film, but... Um, it is she a, wasn't a huge fan of it. It's a visual <coughs> feast. I absolutely loved it. I, I didn't think it was too long. There was a there was a very very violent scene at one point, but that's all. Mm. Um, the acting Dakota Fanning is in it. She's brilliant. Um, oh, Al Pacino's in it. it. These people just Luke Perry who died, the guy yes. from Nine Hundred Two when I was in. There was so Nicholas Hammond who's Robin Nevin's partner. The, the one who yes, he was in Sound of Music. Yeah, one of one of the Von Trapp <laughs> children. Um, he's there. Are, Aussie. There are so many wonderful oh, performances. Oh, good. Well, in I this. still want to see it. I do want to see it. Oh, Corey, you've got to see ago. it. But the other, I thought of you yesterday. This is this is moving on to food. Righto. Because BSF, on, yeah, onto food. Yeah, so that's great. You've got to go and see it and have your own opinion. But um, many, many years ago when um, Rose was a newborn baby, you came around with a pot of bolognese. And your bolognese back then, I don't know anymore, but involved carrots and mushrooms and lots of different veggies as well as the mince. So I was making it yesterday and I was thinking of you and I thought, 
we must talk about how we do it because to me there are two bolognese's. There's the one when you get out Stephanie and you do the proper stock and you buy veal mince and pork mince and mix them together and do it all very much to the letter. Or there's the bolognese you make when you just use what you've got in the fridge and you go and buy some lean mince at the supermarket, which is what I did yesterday. So with me, the non-negotiables, a chicken stock to reduce it, um, if you don't have tomato paste, don't worry, as long as you've got some really good quality chopped tomatoes in a tomato... Um, what's Passetta or something like that. Passata. 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 And, and apart from the chopped garlic and bay leaf, I really like a bit of celery yep. in mine. Okay. So they were my non-negotiables yesterday. I put in a bit of onion. There was celery. There was carrot and a little bit of olive oil at the beginning to, you know, soften all the vegetables. But I think the secret for me is the longer you leave it, reduce it. Oh, totally. And and for me, red wine as well. But that's Oh, you do red wine, do you? I I used to. I don't anymore. Caro, um, I changed from being one who threw everything in the vegetable Contain, compartment into the bolognese and that was very much the kids staple you know yep. at the end of the week you'd sort of do a big bolognese cook up because a few years ago I was fortunate enough to actually be in Italy and have an Italian cooking course and the nonna the old lady from around the corner who came to take us through this pasta making thing she made a bolognese as well as a ragu and the bolognese that she did was sort of mind-blowing amazing but she used um, she used the two different. She used pork and veal mince, which is what Stephanie says. Correct. Is, yeah. But um, the other interesting, and she was very light on with the number of vegetables that she used. Not a huge variety. But then, um, inspired by that, not long after coming home, I bought from the bookshop this wonderful recipes from my mother's kitchen by Guy Grossi, who everybody would know from Florentino in Melbourne. You bought you bought out the big guns. I did, and I often refer to, I mean, I, I sort of know it off by heart now, but I often refer to this particular recipe. It will suddenly, like if the kids are coming over or something, this is the one I do. And Caro, what Guy does is he has 800 grams of minced beef, 100 grams of minced pork, and 100 grams of minced chicken. I mentioned Chicken? Yeah, oh. I mentioned those uh, portions just so people get a idea of its kind of eight to two, if you like, or eight to one. I can't work that out in my maths, but more beef and then pork and chicken, which is interesting. And I've added the chicken and it just is, it just it changes it. It's just Lightens amazing. Lightens it up a bit. Yeah. And not so greasy, funnily enough. So you do the, you know, the onion and um, obviously the garlic and fry all that up and tomato paste, as you said. And he puts in chopped sage and chopped oregano and a bay leaf. And then, and this is what George Columbaris does on MasterChef, grated nutmeg. So one teaspoon of freshly grated nutmeg and then salt and pepper. And then Guy does three quarters of a cup of red wine. I probably do a bit more than that. But um, that is a really, really good uh, recipe for bolognese. Wow. Well, I, well, I, but no carrots, no celery. You know, it's kind of keeping it simple. Yes. But well, the taste is amazing. Well, well, the carrot and the celery, I just had some yesterday. But it does seem to make it – it sort of disappears. Yeah, it does. The, it does. Abs- and mushrooms are great. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, maybe we should have a bake-off. I've never – no, I wouldn't do mushrooms. Wouldn't you? No, I don't think I – I don't know. That's But I, the one you made with mushrooms Probably because I always nice. have mush- mushrooms at the bottom of the fridge somewhere. Just yeah, begging I, to be used. In I did something. a mushroom risotto on Sunday night. I must say, it was very nice. Oh, you and your risottos! Um, <laughs> thanks, everybody. Thank you, Vital Smarts, for BSF globally proven crucial conversations at Vital Smarts, and they hold tough conversations well. Now, I had to have a crucial conversation on Saturday on Three AW. I'll tell you a bit about it when we go to quick questions. Okay, Caro, you're grumpy. Oh, I'm. I'm I'm grumpy. In fact, I'm more than grumpy. I'm disgusted at the Melbourne Archbishop, Peter Commonsoli, and his stand against the his, his stand for the sanctity of the confessional. I am just so disappointed that our Catholic, Roman Catholic leader in Victoria is not has basically said, I am not going to report and I will not be encouraging my priests to report confessions regarding child sex abuse. Uh, uh, I mean, yes, I, it's just it was unbelievable. Just, it was what's been going on for the last three years in a royal commission. I, I can and, and all Your the recommend, and all the recommendations and all the we thought new rules and guidelines that had been set about. And here we have our leader, our Roman Catholic leader, saying that he's not going to respect that and that the confessional is still sacred. Well, what have we learnt? That, that was just a, a shocking, shocking decision by him. And the sooner he goes, the better. Anyway, that's what I'm grumpy about. Oh, good. About. I, no, I'm happy with you, Grumpy. Um, 
six quick questions. And so just referring to your crucial conversation the other day, I was interested. I actually heard, because I had Saturday off, I heard your pre-match on 3AW and I heard you as I was driving down to Geelong for lunch. I heard you mention Geelong, but Jimmy Bartell, you asked him about his marriage, well, it the was, state of his marriage. And I want to know, is that a Dorothy Dixer question? Were no, you told to ask that? No, no, no. I don't think, I don't. I think if Jimmy had had his way, he probably would rather that it wasn't even But was it decided beforehand that you would deal with it? Well, I sort of put it on the agenda. I mean, obviously, I'm sorry he's going through a tough time. I really enjoy working with Jim. He's he's become a very good media performer and a good bloke. And, you know, unlike a lot of football, ex-champion footballers, he's not up himself. But what he has been, Corrie, for many, many years is a is a public figure, very big public figure, took an unbelievable stand during his last season on domestic violence and spoke very, very much from the heart and with brutal honesty about his own father and what he and his sister, his family suffered, and particularly his mother, at the hands of a violent man. But does that mean, ergo, we should all be interested and fascinated by his no, marriage? No, but, but, but we're talking for an hour and a half and we're having, you know, we're not having personal conversations, but we're having deep conversations about football. And Jimmy's been front page of the Herald Sun for Friday, Saturday, and as it turned out, Sunday, with various pictures and various sort of soap operatic sort of references to his marriage breakup with Nadia, who is also a public figure and and why it's all happened. And I, I just said, look, I'm really sorry and we're all sort of with you, but we're just going to have to bring it up briefly to put it on the bulletin board. And in the end, he sort of accepted that. And I said, look, I'll ask a couple of questions. And as you can imagine, I, don't, I think the blokes were happy for me to um, to take hold <laughs> well, there. Well, I just wondered whether there was a bit of sexism, whether they'd nominated you because you were the woman. I'm glad you actually, as the journalist said, I think we should confront this. I'm glad, like, I imagined a producer saying, oh, Carol, you should ask this one because you're the female voice. No, I, I was think, hoping that didn't happen. No, I, well, I, well, I think I sort of nominated myself and it was agreed. But um, I, I think everyone really likes Jim. And I think um, Craig Moore, our producer, I, I don't know what that was said, but I'm sure they had a chat earlier that day and had been during the week because these things do affect your job and your working life because you are so much in the public eye. And he says he's going to continue to be in the public eye. So mm. good luck to all of them. Anyway, that was your question to me. And I'm now going to ask you about how you felt about Ruffy's farewell. Well, I came home from the bookshop later than I expected. So I only watched the last half of the game on Sunday and the emotion was so tangible. It, just the fact that the, every every the minute that the ball came down to the forward line, everybody was kicking, kick it to Ruffy, kick it to Ruffy. Six goals. I, some of them were well earned, I have to say. Some of them were just, you know, nice <laughs> nice behaviour from the other boys. But look, you know, as it I said- It didn't say I, much for the Gold Coast when Jack Gunston was actually booed for having the temerity to take a mark, God's sake. But um, look, everything, as I said last week, everything that can be said about Jared Ruffett has been said. 32 years old, uh, has decided to retire and this was his last home game. He may still play this week for the last round of the season, last game of the season, but to have Luke Hodge, Buddy Franklin, Jordan Lewis and Grant Birchall there, all his old mates there, um, the fact that Buddy came down was just, and, and, and also the fact that Luke Hodge was there too, was just really spectacular. And to see Jordan Lewis as the kind of boundary rider, uh, standing in as a boundary If I was a runner. Melbourne supporter, I don't know if I would have been all that thrilled. But well, anyway. I thought that too. I thought, mm, this is sending mixed messages. But just to have him interviewing Jared Ruffhead after the game was really special. So I was completely swept away. And I have to say that I was tearful because it's been a long journey. I can remember when I lived in Hawthorne, walking down to Glenferry Oval with my son to watch a young Cyril Rioli, a young Buddy Franklin, a young Jared Ruffhead just doing their kick-to-kick practice and everything. It was a good year that year, wasn't it, when they got Roughhead, Lewis and Buddy all in the same year. I know. And interestingly, my son-in-law, Charlie, was up north uh, um, in the Northern Territory fishing and uh, he he went, you know, he's an old mate of Cyril's and ran into Cyril, said he's doing really well, very happy up there. So that was nice to hear that that was happening too. Now, Caro, um, Rove McManus is trying to bring back a new Saturday night television show. And yes, I, I immediately, to 10. yeah, and I immediately went back into the zone of hey, hey, it's Saturday, and even earlier than that, remember the Penthouse Club? 
with Mary Hardy and yeah, Bill well, Coles. Yes, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> and Mike Williamson was in there occasionally. And remember, who was it? Who was the singer? Shirlene Clancy? Yep, she used to remember appear. Remember, she used to sing I, a tune or two? I was never a great fan of um, the Penthouse I Club. I love the Penthouse Club. I loved um, that must Once be Once my bet was over, I just turned <laughs> No, I loved, I loved the trots. Yeah, Too young no. to have a bet, but I remember I used to watch it ad nauseum with Sue remember, Jacoby remember when the parents all, were downstairs having dinner and we'd be Mary betting. Hardy always wore the scarf or the yeah, high well, neck. we know because, why that was. I know, but that was always something we used to sort of intrigue about at school. Yes. Um, anyway, Good idea to have bring back. Oh, fantastic idea. What I want to know is what's happened to Grant Denyer. Rove seems mm, to be. I don't know. He's not, he was a gold Logie winner two years ago and now he's Mm-mm. off radio and there's apparently a back issue and yeah, more to come there, I reckon. But he's replacing Grant in several things. But I think it's a great idea. I think Rove's a really good presenter, really good performer, and more jobs in TV and more local production. Bring yeah, it on. Agree, agree, agree. But what, what's, what's, your, like? what's your Saturday night viewing? If you're at home on a Saturday night, do you tend to watch free to air? Well, we do now because Paul Duck's Sorry, Paul Duck. <laughs> we <laughs> no, got home for once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, I watch the footy. Mm. I watch the footy or um, – no, I watch the footy and there's two games, so you flick between the two. It's great. Yeah, I just don't know whether it's going to take off because I think people's viewing has changed. Anyway, that's that. Um, I've got one for you now. Um, speaking of, who's been your on-air footy commentator oh, hero Oh, my year? goodness. Well, I have to say Sarah Jones on Fox Footy. I think, she, I think she is a ripper. She's getting better with every season. Well, she doesn't call games. But no, but, well, commentator, hosts, you know, yeah. I don't know what she would. She's a great host. <clears throat> on-air football person. Um, I love what she does. I love her work. She's very assured. She's got a lovely manner. Uh, star on the ascent. I mean, it has been for ages. That's not new. But she is. She has really grown this year, and I'm full full um, brownie points to her. Now, Caro, I've been wanting to ask you this for some time. Very serious question. Where do you, where do you stand <laughs> on puffer jackets? Well, I know why you're asking this because of a comment my daughter Rose made a few months ago, <laughs> which is, Mum, one day we're going to look back on the puffer, on the puffer phase and just shake our heads. Um, look, I, I'm not anti-puffer and I've been known to wear the odd puffer and at Uniqlo, let's face it, they're so reasonable and so cheap and they do keep you nice and warm. But yeah, sometimes you look around the streets of Melbourne these days and it has been pretty cold lately and there's just puffers galore. <laughs> we, we look like this great puffy state of people walking around like Michelin men. Don't you reckon? I can't. What's wrong with the old coat? Well, I've, as you know. Woolen coat. I've come in in my good blue woolen coat Yes, today. I've come in in my good blue They're, woolen coat too. Yours is, well, yours is sort of a bit of a shaggy dog coat, isn't it? It's a, it's a furry. Shut up. No, no, no. It's, in, it's a furry thing. <laughs> It's a, it's, I wouldn't call it. Is it wool? <laughs> is, it a, is it a proper fibre? No, is it a natural fibre? <laughs> I don't know what it is. I like is it. Is it possum? No, but it's, oh, it's a furry. Shut it's for furry oh, thing. Anyway. It is, it's a furry coat. I love it. I love it's it. It's a furry blue coat. It's not a puffer. The thing about puffers is they're easy to pack, they're lightweight, and they are probably warmer than anything else. But they make However, women look four stone heavier than they are. Well, not I all, don't some, get them. It takes don't a, go near a lit match either, just It takes quietly. a certain sort puffer of puffer and puff up. But there's lots of long puffers now. There's long puffers, short puffers. Oh. They're good to work. They're good to wear to an early morning workout class because they are incredibly warm and light, and they're easy on and easy Mark off. Mark Porritt, who's the designer and inventor of feathers, which I love the feathers brand, but she has more puffers in her front, her front window than you'd see at the local Eskimo shop. Like they're puffers galore. She's got them in all shapes and sizes, and they're a fashion item. I don't get it. I, I bought one years it. ago because it was a year. Well, it was a year of the London Olympics, so it was 2012. It was a Lauren Vidal, which I think is a fabulous German brand, and great expense. And it was a one of those ones you could zip off half of it. Mm. So it was either long or just to your waist. And I still wear it sometimes, although I think it's been stolen by Clem a lot this year. And it's got a bit, it has got a bit of fur with the puffer, which can be a good, can be a bad look. Oh, it's, it's borderline. Very, it's very warm and people often Could compliment me Could be a bit Christy Brinkley. Remember when she married that young ski instructor up on the top of Aspen somewhere? I don't look like Christy <laughs> Brinkley in it, Corrie. <laughs> anyway, that's oh. the... We're almost out of puffer season and bring it on. Bring, bring it on, on I say. 
And on that, Corrie, you have a GLT to end the show. Yeah, I do. Look, it's not really a GLT. It's more like I just remember to do this. So my uh, daughter-in-law, Lib, is staying with us at the moment. And Lib, as it turns out, is a, only a black tea drinker. And she, oh, like mum. Yeah. yeah, and even though she comes from good farming rural stock where they have the billy on the whole time, Lib's a bit of a, I think she's probably a bit of a tea bag girl as well. But last night she offered to make me a cup of tea and then said, I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure how to do this with the pot, but also with milk because her parents had black tea as well. So we had a little lesson on how to make a good pot of tea. So look, I'm not going to go into the details. She couldn't get over the fact that it's one per person and one for the pot. You're kidding. No, she had. She said, what's that rhyme again that you always say? I went, what, one per person, one for the pot? She said, yeah, why one for the pot? Anyway, just like long discussions about that. But How put, extraordinary. Three but, turns to the right with the teapot? No, we just let it for three minutes. No, don't go near it. And she said, what do you do? Like I said, this is mindfulness, Lib. This is, it started in Victorian times. You just stand there and wait for your tea to brew and it's quiet time. She said, oh, I kind of like that idea. And I said, if you're now working from home with your own business, this is the perfect opportunity. Stop writing. Go and make the pot of tea. Gather your thoughts. I mean, Carrie, you and I have been doing this for 30 years with pots of yep. tea. Yep. So, uh, so the thing about the milk is there's lots of theories about milk, but um, this is what I have always done, and I know that um, proper tea people like Fortnum Masons and so on say this as well. The milk should go in your cup first, and you pour the tea over it. Yeah, you're either a myth or you're not a myth. Yeah, I'm a myth correct. person. Yeah, I am. Correct. But some people are horrified by milk in first. And it's considered a bit, you know. Naff. Common. <laughs> it is. It Why? is. Why? Well, it's been said to me a couple of times over the years. <laughs> I know. I put it in first. Some people say it makes the tea who bitter. Are the, who are the snobs that you mix with? Well, it's just been said over the years. That's all I'm going to no, say. No, but I don't under, Well, there are many levels I don't understand that. But I don't understand. You see, if you put the milk in last, it doesn't move around enough. So you've got to then get your spoon and turn it around so it's an even colour. Whereas if you put the tea on top of the milk, it's already swishing around. It's already done for you. I worked with a girl um, called Jenny Brown, a lovely journo in my early days at the Jenny. Herald. And she used she was to, a knockout too. She was. She wasn't. She was a. She really taught me a lot about writing. But anyway, her thing, and this is with tea bags, which you have at work, and you would only ever have at work. She would pour in, you know, the water into the tea bag and a bit of milk. Milk in first, even with the tea bag. Don't get me started on tea bags. I know, Karen. but we'll be here forever. I know, but anyway, and then she'd let the cup breathe before she poured oh. the second half of the boiling water. Oh, always remembered that. She probably, if you ever heard this, she'd be thinking, I don't know what, I cannot remember that. But I remember it. You know you remember something about someone? Well, that's right. And I remember my mother always saying, put hot water in your empty teapot before you put your tea leaves in. So just to warm up your pot. So, oh, so, yes. so empty the teapot from the last lot and then swish a bit of hot water in it. Yeah, warm the pot. And then, yeah, warm the pot. Yeah, well, a lot of people don't bother doing that. It's the, such a ritual, honestly. Take so the kettle, lip, take the pot, pot to, to the, the kettle. Pot to the kettle, not the kettle yep. to the pot. Yeah. So all of this we were going through last night with Lib, who was madly taking notes. And I said to her, I've got to do a GLT tomorrow. And she said, you're looking at it. So there you are. So that's... Um, that's um, As she was <laughs> planning to move into an apartment. <laughs> going, get me away from my mother-in-law. She's psychic. Psychotic, I mean. Um, Caro, great show. Thanks very much for your company. And, oh, thank uh, you, Corrie. It's nice to see you. It's Good been luck. a pleasure. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks for turning up. And it's um, it's going to be an interesting five weeks now. You're on the countdown, aren't you? So um, after that, you'll have a real skip in your step when the footy's over. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening. We love, love, love our Don't Shoot the Messenger gang. You are so vocal to us on our uh, Don't Shoot um, Instagram, Don't Shoot Pod Instagram, and, of course, uh, you give us feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au and Facebook. We love hearing your messages, your tips, your suggestions. Keep them coming. And if you do have a good bolognese recipe, let us know. We tweet as well, so just join at Don't Shoot Pod. Thanks to Vital Smarts, our sponsors, and of course to Miss Jane Neild, our fabulous producer. And Carol, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger.